Good morning and welcome to the Alamo City family today. God bless you wherever you're tuning in from as you see this broadcast today. We bless you in the name that's above every other name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you today from a spot deep in the heart of the hill country, just northwest of San Antonio. Some friends of the Alamo City family uh, have, a, have an amazing ranch up here and and uh, they, they know that I love to get out in, in, uh, in the middle of nowhere and, and talk to the Lord's people. I, something about God just seems to speak clearer to me out away from pavement and traffic. And I love finding my way out to a spot like this. It's beautiful. We had some rains recently. This tank's filled up. Grass is growing. Cedars or junipers are doing what they need to do. And the, and the oaks are... are uh, well on their way to, to their summer foliage. It's just a blessing to, to be out in God's creation. I hope you have a spot where you can get to. Maybe it's a city park, maybe it's your backyard, maybe it's a, maybe it's a ranch or a farm that you get away to. There's something about being out in a place where you know that it wasn't by your power that the stuff is growing and things are being taken care of. It's just such a reminder, God's got this, that some things we are responsible for, but we're not responsible for rain, and we're not responsible for the, for the fertility of the soil and, and the care of the wildlife and the birds. He does that. He takes care of those things, and that's one of the reasons I love being out. I'm just reminded what a, what a small part of this amazing universe I, as one human, actually are and that he, he is in control, that, that he will take care of us. And he'll say, you look at that sparrow. You, you know, we might say, you, you look at that blue jay over there. You look at that morning dove, or you look at that quail. The Lord will say, I take, I, I, I take care of the birds of the air. If you see me feeding a sparrow, then you just got to know you're way more valuable to me than that bird over there. If, I, if there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that I don't see it, you can count on the fact that I'm taking care of you. I'm watching out for you. I'm looking out for you and your kids. And I will, I will provide for you. And I will make a way. I will protect you. That's just so good to be reminded of, isn't it, in this day and time. Now, I want you to get your Bibles this morning, if you will. And let's go back to the book of Ephesians one more time. And we're going to read what Paul wrote. Uh, to a group of people that, that he actually was the one who led them to Jesus. He was the one who, who told them about the cross and the power of the cross and the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. And, and, and many, many of them in that, in that pagan city uh, came to know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. And so he's writing some instruction back to them. He's not with them. He's needing to get information back to them that he feel like the Lord by his spirit had put in his heart. Now, this is one of the prayers that's recorded uh, that he wrote in the book of Ephesians. This is chapter 3 uh, and verse 14. So if you'll find your, your copy of the, of the scripture and open it up, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And here's the theme for today. Here's where we're going to lean in and stay for a few minutes. This thing, this truth, you mean more to the Father than you will ever know. You mean more to the Father than you will ever know. Here's how Paul 
expresses that kind of heart. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, now notice these words, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now what does He mean? Back, back up there to to verse 17. So what does he mean when he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? The word for dwell there means to be at home in your hearts. Not, not to be a visitor, not to be a guest, but to be someone who makes his presence known in your heart. Now I know a bunch of us would say, I know the Lord. I've received Jesus as Savior and Lord. But I think Paul would ask us as we look at this verse, well, do you have the sense that Jesus is at home in your heart? Just like if you had somebody to come stay with you for a few days, a family member come and stay with you for a few days, and you gave them your guest bedroom, and, and they had the bathroom, they had access to the kitchen you would know that they were at home in your house, right? I mean, you, you would know that they were there. They're not somewhere else. You're not talking to them on the phone. They're not staying in a neighbor's house. They are at home in your house. The Paul is saying, I'm praying God will by His Spirit so strengthen you in the inner man, that, that, not the outer man that's just in touch with, with sights and sounds um, and, and um, movement and, and uh, details out beyond us that we see with the eyes here with the ears. But he says it's your, it's your inner man, your heart, that invisible part of you. I'm praying God will do something on the inside of you, in your heart, so that you will know that Jesus is at home within you. Not just His name, not just the stories about Him, not just saying, oh, I know God is everywhere, therefore He has to be in my heart. I think Paul's saying something different. I'm praying this will go further than, this will go past just what you can know with your mind. That He's not talking about something that is a mental exercise. He's talking about something I believe that He's wanting the Ephesian Christians to feel. He wanted them to feel the presence of Jesus in their hearts. Again, 
they were going to heaven. He's not talking to folks who had never received Jesus. They, they, they had Jesus in their hearts in the sense of knowing him as their Savior. But Paul is praying something more. He said, I, I want you to know that Jesus is alive and at home in your heart. I, I, that fascinates me. I, I find myself praying that lots. Lord, I, I want to know what Paul's talking about here. I want, to, I want to know your presence alive and real in my heart. He, 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 he goes on to, I think, express it a little more clearly what it is that he's wanting them to feel of Jesus, from Jesus in their hearts. Look, look at this. He says in verse 18, or, or the end of verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. I believe he's saying, I, I'm praying that you will know in the depth of your heart, you will feel in the depth of your heart how much Jesus loves you. You'll be rooted and grounded in his love for you. Folks, isn't it true? Isn't it, isn't it true that when we're wondering whether or not the Lord really loves us, we're, we're, we know that he does up here, but, but that sense of feeling it in our hearts. We wonder, Lord, I, I just, you seem distant. If this happened and you loved me, why did you let it happen? And there can be something working in our hearts of, at that place of doubting his love, questioning his love. Did I do something wrong, Lord? Did I, did I, did I offend you so that I'm not feeling your, your love like, like I want to, like I need to? We, we get there. We, we, can, we can live in those places from time to time. But here, here, here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that the love of Christ alive in your heart, flowing from the sense of the presence of Jesus alive in your heart, will cause you to be rooted and grounded in his love so that when the winds blow, so that when opposition comes, so that when circumstances that don't seem to be very loving bump up against us, move against us, we are rooted and grounded in knowing that Jesus loves me. No matter who doesn't love me, no matter what's coming against me, this I know, I'm rooted and grounded in love. There, there's an oak tree on this ranch. I, I, I want to do, maybe we'll come back out here and we'll do a, a tape another one of these in front of this oak tree. That thing is so big, I bet you four men could not reach and touch their hands all the way around it. It's huge. It's huge. And, and evidently, because it's been around for so long, the root structure is awesome. Now there's, there's, there's um, limestone underneath. This, we don't have a whole lot of topsoil to work with. But these trees, and especially that great old big one, that granddaddy oak, has got, has, must have roots that go out almost forever in every direction. So that the storms that have come, the, the tornadic kind of winds that will blow through these hollows sometimes and, 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 and from different directions and so forth, it's still standing. It's still growing. It's still bearing fruit. It's because it's rooted and it's grounded. I believe that that's what Paul's saying. I want you to know the presence of Jesus, not just with your head, but for you to feel with your heart, sense in your heart that he is in you, yes, but that he is loving you. 
He is loving you, rooted and grounded in love, is, is, what, he, is what he says. And then, and then in verse 19, or well, let me back up, it's 18. So that you may be able to comprehend, you may be able, that word really means to lay hold of, to, to get a good grip on with all the saints. Now, who are the saints? The saints, that, that's who Paul called Christians. Everybody who had believed in Jesus. It wasn't some select group of Christians. It was everybody who had come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. The word means holy ones. And, and Jesus will say that the ones who have, been, who, who have had it revealed to them who I am and come to me, that's the rock upon which I'll, I'll build the church. The, Peter will write, called out of darkness, the ones called out of darkness and into light, called, called to him, called to Jesus, the, the holy one. So, so don't, don't waste any time thinking that Paul's talking about some super group of Christians when he uses the word saints. That is not in the Bible. That is not the teaching of, of the original scriptures. The saints, you're a saint. You're somebody called out of darkness and into light. You're one called to Jesus. The word literally means the holy ones, the holy ones. Ones who have been called out of darkness, the darkness of the world, the darkness of, of, of moral darkness, and into the light that is in Jesus. Okay, so, that, so he's saying that, that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints then what is the breadth and length and the height and depth. And what is that? What's he talking about? The breadth, length, height, depth. Of what? Of what? Well, I think he goes on to say and explain what he's talking about. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. The word for know there is not just intellectual knowledge that would come from reading words on a page or hearing something that somebody's saying, lecturing on a subject. It is a word that means knowing by way of personal experience. It is, it is knowledge that is gained through a relationship with someone who conveys information, but it is primarily it is, it is primarily knowledge that is, that is gained by way of experience. You're experiencing it. You're sensing it. It's real to you. So he says, and that you would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I, I believe what he's saying is, and this is a prayer. I'm telling you, this is a prayer for, for a pastor to pray for his people. And this is how I pray for the Alamo City family. That wherever you may be, this, this is how I pray for you. Lord, I'm asking you to do whatever you need to do to strengthen their spirits, strengthen them on the inside so that Jesus Christ is real in their hearts and that as Jesus is real, He's making His love for them known, that they would be rooted and grounded in the felt knowledge of your love for them. And it would be as if we're just lost in a sea of your love. We can't reach the top of it. We can't reach the depth of it. We can't reach the east and we can't reach the west. Lost in the sea of your love. It's as if Paul ran out of words here trying to describe the magnitude and the, the richness 
of the love of, of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You know, sometimes I just shake my head at, 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 at you know, at, I'm, I, just, I just call them egghead believers. Egghead believers. They think that they can totally grasp everything on the subject of God just by reading and dissecting and putting things together and trying to connect the dots and that, that their knowledge within, within their brain, within their finite brain, they can come to grips with the infinite God. It ain't going to happen. And if, we are, if we're thinking that all, all there is to know about God, I, I, I can know just by even reading the Scriptures and just by trying to figure them out. Paul is saying, here's one thing you're never going to get. <laughs> it's amazing. Here's one thing. Here's one thing. Your mind will be blown every time you plumb the depths of it. It is the knowledge of the love of God for you. How much he loves you, how much you mean to him, you and I will never, ever know in this life. When we get to heaven, yes, when we get to heaven and we have our glorified bodies and we have our minds clear and we are known even, we will know even, even as we are known, the scripture will talk about it, then yes, there can be, we, we trust, a fuller expansion of our ability to grasp the measure of his love for us. But Paul is just saying it, it passes knowledge. How much God loves you, how much you mean to him, surpasses the ability of a human mind to grasp. All right, now that, that, that's such a blessing. That means so much. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for praying that way for us. But I want to get you to look at some, a couple of, two or three words, three or, three or four words that may be at the heart of what he's talking about in, in terms of, of, of knowing how the Lord loves us, all right? How, so, so he loves us and, and, and he's died on the cross for us and, and, and the depth of his love is beyond our ability to comprehend. But are there some dimensions of that love that we can get a glimpse into? And I believe there are. I believe he hints at those in the first chapter of Ephesians. So would you turn, turn back to Ephesians 1. Let me start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now watch verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. I'm going to suggest four words that I believe hint at what Paul is saying. If you, if you get to the depth of these truths about the, revealing the Father's heart for you, it will cause you to be lost 
in the sense of his love for you. The first word is chosen. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen. Child of God, my brother or my sister, in the depth of who you are, you need to let this in. You were not an accident. You were not just a product of biology and you showed up here with a mother and a father earthly. You existed in the heart of God before there was dirt in San Antonio, before the Alamo was built, before Plymouth Rock ever became a spot on the Atlantic coast, where the pilgrims landed all those centuries ago. You existed in the heart of your Father, your Heavenly Father, before the foundation of the world. That's what he says. And you didn't just exist. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. Now, for many of us, we, we would live years away from the Lord and, and, and seem like we didn't pay any attention to God, didn't want to hear anything about it. But then there came a point in time where we started listening, where somebody said something to us and maybe circumstances in our lives had caused us to hit rock bottom or we ran off a cliff or we smashed our nose under a wall and circumstantially and we, we had no place else to look but up. And when we looked up, we found that there was the love of God, the love of Jesus there waiting for us. So it could seem as if for all those years that I didn't care anything about God, how could it be that He chose me? It's because He's God and we're not. And He sees the end from the beginning. And He knows who we really belong to. And that's why many today would, would hear this and they'd say, you know, I, I, I ran the world, I ran hard, I ran fast, and I couldn't ever find my spot. I couldn't ever find my home. I kept looking. I kept find, trying to find a home for my heart, and I couldn't find it until Jesus found me. And then I have come to understand, and we read this, the reason it's that way, because the Lord had chosen you. You belong to Him, not to the world. You, you belonged to His mercy, to His love, to His heart, not to the affections of this world. It's not that we turn our back on everything, all humans, all family, all friends necessarily, but it is that we have come to that place and are growing in that place of understanding, wait a minute, I'm no late breaking news item to the Lord. He chose me. He chose me. He picked me out because He wanted me. He saw something valuable in me. He saw something worthy in me. He chose me. He chose me. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing me. To be lost in the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, may very well have. This is a dimension of it. How it blows our minds that before I had the ability to choose Him, He had already chosen me. Then there's another word, adoption. Predestined, look at this in verse 5, predestined us to adoption as sons. Chosen, chosen, chosen. But not just chosen to be a dust-collecting trophy sitting on a shelf somewhere, but chosen to be adopted as a member of the family. Folks, I'm just telling you, 
when this drops 18 inches and you realize that you are not just a creation of God, though you are a creation of God, His creative handiwork caused you to have the human body and to be blessed with the folks around you who love you and that you can share that kind of relationship with. But that He had in His heart that you would be a member of the family of God, that you would be brought into the royal line, that you would, you would not just be a nobody trying to become a somebody, but you would be from His heart a somebody that He chose, but somebody who He wants to have a place at His table. But to as many, John 1, 12, but to as many as received him, received Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. There may be other family members that walk away from you, other family members that there's nothing admirable about that you would desire to copy, uh, to, to imitate. That there, may, there may be a, a long line of difficult things and, and, and choices and, and repeated hereditary sins in a family line. That, that's the human natural family line. But that's not your real family line. The one who chose you before you ever had a last name is the same one who set in motion through his heart to bring you into a place of being adopted into his family. Again, when we're running wild and running fast and running what we think is free out there, none of this makes any sense to us. But when the light turns on and when there is a sense that Jesus is my Savior, that He's called me to Himself. And then we look back at this and we, we realize that He chose me and it is His heart that I be adopted. What, one of the ways to define that word is, is that particular Greek word that Paul used. It means to be put into the relationship of a child with the dignity of that relationship and being loved and being brought into the likeness of the Father. The dignity of being in the royal family of God. Let that drop 18. I believe Paul would say, Lord, show that to them. He would say, Lord, show them the hope of their calling. Show them what the hope of their calling is. And a part of that calling is that you have been called to royalty. You have been called to the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then also along with that word, the adoption as family means that there is a likeness that we begin to bear toward the Father. There's a family resemblance in the family of God. Have you noticed that? Have you met somebody, ever walked into somebody, and you just feel like somewhere or another, you didn't know the name, you didn't know any of their background, but just to look in their eyes, just to be around them, you had a sense they know the Lord. They know Jesus. And then you have a chance to check that, to ask that, and it's absolutely in a big grin, a big smile. A family resemblance, a family resemblance. I want to say to you, again, some of you may be coming out of earthly families that have no resemblance to the Lord God. But that's not your real family. That's your biological family. But they only came to know you when, when you took that first kick 
in your earthly mother's womb. But guess what? Your real father knew you before there was dirt. Remember that word? Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. And it was his heart to adopt you into his family. It's not that we're to turn our back on our earthly families, but it is to know that when we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, it won't matter as much what our earthly family does or doesn't do when we realize the love of God expressed through the love of Christ at work by His Spirit in our hearts, rooted and grounded in His love, chosen, adopted, and then that other word, forgiven. But verse 7, that him we have, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The forgiveness. Okay, so only God could come up with this. He chose us. He, want, he desires for us to be adopted into His family, but then because He's God and He knows everything, He knows what He's getting when He gets us. He, he knows what we would be in our teen years, in our 20 years, in our 30s, and so forth, wherever it, that, 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 that time of, of, of going whole hog away from God, just as fast as you can get in the other direction. He knew that there needed to be, there would have to be, if His choice would ever be materialized, if our being able to live worthy of our family name, adopted in the family, then there was going to have to be something, some means whereby forgiveness for the wrongs, the, 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 the crazy, just the flat-out sins that we would commit that would be against Him and against His heart, that somehow, some way, forgiveness would need to come for the sins that we would commit. We, we can't surprise Him with any of our good. He knows everything. We can't surprise Him with any of our bad. It, it's not like we, we have a closet that the Lord hadn't looked into. He sees everything. We're completely naked and open before Him, the, the, the New Testament would say. But the good news is that that all was covered, that all was made provision for before we ever really came to know Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. Chosen, adopted, but forgiveness, forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. One day we woke up and we realized guilt and shame are real. The consequences of the life that I've lived away from God, acting as if there is no law, there are no rules, come to find out my harvest is coming back in, the things that I've sown are coming against me. And I need to be forgiven. It, it, this matter of forgiveness is not something that somebody's got to tell you you better get. It's something from the inside of your heart, right? You're realizing you need. It's not that, I, that somebody's telling me I got to get it. I'm so convinced I need it. I'm just asking, where is it? Where can I find the freedom from my shame? Where can I find the, the, the release from the consequences of the stuff that I've sown to people out into the, into the realm of experience? I've found that God's not mocked, that whatever a man or woman sows, that's what you reap. And the harvest always comes in later 
and it always comes in exponentially from what we put in the ground. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. I believe when Paul will say, I want them to be rooted and grounded in your love, Jesus. I believe what he's saying too is that I want them to understand what it means to know, to walk in forgiveness. I want them to know what their forgiveness cost you, Jesus, that you, you gave everything up. You, you suffered beyond any way that we could describe it for us in order that we could be forgiven. Cause them to know. Let them know as you root and ground them in your love. Cause them to know that you have forgiven them. That they don't have to keep going back and keep trying to figure out what more do I need to do to get more forgiveness. If they'll just stare at your cross, if they'll just wrap the arms of their heart around your heart, your death on the cross for them, there is forgiveness, there is release, there is freedom from shame, there is a hope and a future because of the richness of your forgiveness. The fourth word, the fourth word that's shot all the way through this passage is the word grace, the grace of God, the grace of God. The grace of God manifested in choosing us. The grace of God manifested in adopting us. The grace of God manifested in forgiving us. You don't find grace in the heart of a mad God. Can I say that again? <laughs> he will speak of the kind intention of His will. His grace which He lavished upon us. The heart of God toward you is not at its core anger, resentment, frustration, disappointment, wanting to check out. When your name comes up, just wanting to slam a mountain rock down on the ground and, and the earth shake just because He's so mad at the mention of your name. If that were the case, Jesus would never have come. My brother, my sister, if, if Jesus didn't come because He was mad, the Father didn't send Him because He was ticked off. The Father sent the Son because He loved you. Get this. He loved you and that love was expressed in the fact that He chose you before there was ever a Jerusalem chose you before there was ever a planet earth, chose you before there was ever a Milky Way, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So His love in choosing, in adopting, in forgiving, made real, made known, flowing out of the heart of His grace. Two parts to grace, at least two. One of them is mercy. Mercy, undeserved mercy. If, if it was mercy, if, if, we, if we could get God to do something, it, it wouldn't necessarily be mercy. It would be, it would be Him paying a debt. We, we tried to buy something, and because we put this price out, he, he had to respond in kind. But we didn't pay for anything. We didn't buy anything. We don't know how you buy. How do you buy forgiveness? You can't buy it. It was what He chose to give. He set in motion the plan. Jesus is spoken of as the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Well, what else happened before the foundation of the world? You were chosen. 
so that when you were chosen, there was also set in motion the plan for the lamb to be slain so that you could be forgiven. How great is that love? How awesome is that love? What we ought to ask is, how long, what, what in the world, Lord, did it take me so long to, to come to the, my senses and respond to your love? Why was I so thick-headed? Why did it take me so long? What all have I forfeited? What all have I walked away from and missed out on flowing from your love, your heart of grace? Grace, grace speaks of His mercy, <laughs> but here's the other part of it. Grace speaks of power. Grace speaks of strength. When He graces us, that's His mercy being expressed, but it's also His strength being brought to life inside us, His power being brought to life inside us. Now, here's where I want to stop. We're gonna, I want you to hold on to those spots, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1. But if you go to the book of Acts, and, and you know I, I just have a hard time staying out of Acts, and the main reason for that is that, that, that if, if there hadn't been something to happen like happened with the early church in the book of Acts and the outpouring of the Spirit upon, upon lives and hearts, then the, the message of the gospel would have just stayed stuck in the first century. That, that it, would never have, it would never have reached beyond the outskirts of Jerusalem. But because Jesus came to die as the Savior for the sins of the whole world, it was necessary that the message of what He did be exploded out from Jerusalem, that it wouldn't just be a Jewish truth, but it would be something that would be spread throughout all the Gentile nations of all of which you and I are a part of that group. And, and so we find in, in, Acts, in Acts chapter 1, we, we find Jesus raised from the dead. You know, He's, he's, he's accomplished forgiveness. He, his death on the cross, His blood being poured out, accomplished forgiveness. There were ones that He was talking to that very likely for those 40 days that He was speaking to them, He taught them this. You were chosen. You're not just random. You're not just God's booby prize. You were chosen. You are here in this company because God chose you. You've been adopted into His family. The forgiveness that I have just accomplished for you was the death on the cross. The fact that that's all true is, is evidenced by the fact that I'm alive from the dead. I'm not in the grave anymore. I'm alive here speaking to you. But then he would also say, you can know those things. You, you, can, you can be stirred to a degree by the knowledge of those truths, chosen, adopted, forgiven, and other things we could list. But Jesus would say what you don't have, that I want you to give. The rest of the story is that you need my power alive in you. You need the power of my living presence filling you so that when you, so that when you need to be taught something, when it needs to be pressed into your heart, the riches of knowing that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, that, that God's plan was for you to be a part of the family, where, where it moves, where if there's any hope of it moving from just information to a transformative truth and energy in your life, it is going to have to be done by my, be done by my spirit alive and working in your chest, in your heart. In the end, Paul would say, I'm praying that they would be strengthened with the might of the Spirit in their inner man so that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. 
And then he goes on to talk about the, the love of God and the, and, and the dominion that we just spoke about. You can't, get, you can't go above it. You can't plumb the depths, east or west, and be lost in, this, in, in the love of Christ. He starts out by saying, it, in effect, Lord, it's, it's not going to happen unless you by your Spirit strengthen them and enable them to get it. It's not enough for me just to write these words. I'm praying that you will cause the words that I'm writing, the truths that I'm giving them to come alive by the work of your Spirit in their hearts. So, so Jesus, folks, and I, I, I know we've listened from a number of different backgrounds, but I, I just want to be found encouraging you at this place. You lean into, you with all your heart, you lean into the promise where Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking Him? Give the Holy Spirit to help. Give the Holy Spirit in power to strengthen, to, to enable us to stand firm, but also to give us the ability to be able to grasp the things that are our, that, that are our birthright. Our, the truths, like, like these that we've, that we've just mentioned. Jesus would say, Jesus would say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're very familiar with it, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The ultimate purpose for the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was so that the church would be set free from its timidity and fear and shyness and hesitation be filled with the boldness of the resurrected Christ and the life of Jesus would be energizing the church. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost without one note. He didn't have a, the New Testament to read from or the Old Testament to read from because the printing press hadn't been invented and wouldn't happen for 1,500 years. But all of those verses that he quoted out of Joel, out of Psalms, that it just it flowed like a river out of him. How did that happen? When before he was hiding and coward, denied he knew Jesus three times, but here he is quoting scripture. Here he is bold as a lion. Here he is free and full of joy and preaching Jesus to that group. Where did that come from? That came from the infilling, the impartation of the spirit of the invisible Jesus alive in him. Paul, I believe, would say, that's what was happening in Jerusalem. They, were, they had been strengthened by the Spirit of Christ in the inner man, on the inside of them. Whereas before it had been weakness, now it's life, now it's power. And the result of that is they are, they are so lost in the love of Jesus that they don't care what the Caiaphas and the high priest and the Roman authorities do. They are so rooted and grounded in love that if they're hauled off to jail, if they're hauled off to the executioner, they will not be shaken. They will not be moved because they know the love of Jesus alive inside of them. I believe that's what he meant when he was praying. Lord, Lord, will you strengthen them with might by your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in their hearts, be at home in their hearts. Not a visitor, but living there and known that he is there. And that they would be rooted because he's there, his felt presence is there. They're sensing his love for them. They're rooted and grounded in his love.
and that they would be able to know in something true. This is intended for the, for the whole church, for all Christians everywhere, that we would be lost in the height, depth, length, breadth of the love of Christ, that we would know the love of Christ and be filled up to all the fullness of God. For some of you, this, this may not be have been technical enough, but for a whole bunch of you, I pray that it's, it speaks to the practical, the practical great issue in your heart. Lord, I need to live my days. I want to live my days knowing that you love me, feeling that not just, not just a mental trip, but feeling and sensing that you love me, that you are alive within me, and I'm asking you to root me and ground me in the knowledge of that love. That, that is something, folks, I don't believe we're ever supposed to quit praying. Some days it may seem that he, he, he seems more real. His kindness seems more at hand than at other times. But it doesn't mean that we should ever stop praying that prayer. He got permission to pray it. got permission to long for it. Lord, I need to know that you love me and I ask you to make your, your love for me known by the power of your Spirit. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit so that your Spirit can accomplish in me what I can't accomplish for myself so that I'm able to live out what I have chosen to be, been chosen to be, that I can live out what I have been adopted to be and so that the forgiveness in my life will, be, will, will bear wonderful fruit because I'm not having to go back to that old stuff again. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. And you are alive in me, loving me, loving me. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. And some of you, if you just feel led to do this, you just open your palms, open your hands before the Lord as, as we pray together. Lord, I ask you, I ask you to do what only you can do by your Spirit. And that is that you would strengthen us, causing us to know your love for us. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken our thoughts to being chosen, adopted, forgiven. That you wouldn't have set in motion those things, those realities, if you had not had a heart of love for us. But today, Lord, today, many need a breakthrough, a breaking through of a fresh knowledge, a fresh understanding of your love for them. By your Spirit, Lord, by your Spirit alone will that happen. And so we cry out to you for your Spirit in power to strengthen us at the place of knowing your love for us, that we may then be able to stand where we need to stand and speak what we need to speak. But it comes from that place like that great old oak of being rooted and grounded for us, rooted and grounded in your love. Grant it, Lord. Grant it, Lord. Grant it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite our prayer partners to make their way to the front of the worship center this morning and so that we'll be ready to pray for any of you who would like for us to stand with you in that place of prayer. 
of praying for a fresh manifestation of the love of God to your heart or whatever else may be going on in your life that we could pray with you for. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, those of you who are part of our streaming family, please, if there's something going on in your life right now that we could pray with you about, please give us just enough information to be able to agree with you. Doesn't have to be a lengthy, uh, doesn't have to be a book, a long, a long email, but just enough for us to have enough to agree with you for the points where you're longing for the Lord to bring a breakthrough and to glorify Himself in your life. And we'd love to do that. We really would. I want to just say thank you to all of you who are praying, all of you who are part, so many of you scattered all over the place, and, and to those of you who financially are able to help. And you do what you do as unto the Lord, and we, we take very seriously everything that comes our way. And it, as a result of what you are helping us do, uh, we're able to go farther and, and to feed the Lord's sheep, Lord's sheep in places we couldn't without your help. So bless you. Thank you. May it be returned upon you a hundredfold in your generosity toward the work of the Lord here. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your time today. Amen. I shall not.